And when the tangible world and the spiritual world merge, you have art and you have Ihsan. And that is what makes the world better. And that is our purpose in life. This is Raising Mums, the podcast that raises up Muslim mums like you so that you can raise your children well. And here's your host, Dr. Gemma. In all of my years doing this, home educating my own children and working with other homeschooling families all over the world, I have come to realize that there's a lot of untapped wisdom out there in the homes and in the lives of women who appear to be very, very ordinary, you find that they are doing extraordinary things with their children or with other children in their communities. And I want to use this small part of the internet that I have to elevate their voices, to spread their wisdom and their insights with the rest of the world in the hopes that it will benefit you. So today I've got a really big treat for you. What you're about to hear is an interview, the first interview I've ever done on the podcast with Wajiha Khalil, who is an artist and a teacher of the visual and language arts with sacred art workshops. And I first found her on Instagram and was really excited by the work she was putting out in the world and the way that she taught children. And I followed her on YouTube. I got a really good idea of the way she worked. And I thought, you know what? I need to get this sister into my community, inside Launch Your Homeschool, to help the mothers there, to teach their children. Um, And so she has come into Launch Your Homeschool and done a bonus masterclass. And it was so well received by the children inside our community that we've actually invited her to come again. So this coming August, she'll be back. So if you are in Launch Your Homeschool, we've got a bonus masterclass for your children coming with Sister Wajiha. Or if you're gonna be joining us when enrollment opens on the 29th of July, then your children will get an opportunity to join that class as well. One of the things that struck me about Wajiha is Not only is she an incredible teacher and the children love her, but she's one of those people who you can tell that has a lot of depth. And what I mean is I superficially had conversations with her on Zoom and I could tell that she was very knowledgeable in Islamic art, in Islamic history, but I wanted to tap into that even more, which is why I've invited her onto the podcast so that she can share with us her insights into how to teach Islamic art to children. So let's begin today's podcast. I'm delighted to welcome Wajiha Khalil from Sacred Art Workshops to the podcast today. Welcome Wajiha. Wa alaikum assalam. Thank you so much for inviting me. So I have given a little introduction before we began and I've talked a little bit about the work that you do online. But could you yourself share share with the audience what it is that you do? Sure. So uh, my work uh, focuses on teaching the Islamic sciences through the creative arts. So one way that I like to describe it is that you have, like when you think of an itter, a fragrance, you have the essential oil and you have the carrier oil. So the Islamic knowledge is, is akin to our, the essence of the oil. And then you have a carrier oil, and that is the creative arts. 
So it is the creative arts that helps to carry and transmit this knowledge, um, which is the traditional knowledge from our dean. And I do that essentially through the visual arts and language arts. And I also like to collaborate with, with other artists who engage with the performing arts and, and, other, and other types of musical arts as well, like the Duff. Um, so I've worked um, teaching about um, the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the book of Allah, uh, the prophets of Allah, the Sirah of the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And, um, and I'd like to focus on also just uh, consciousness, having an artistic process, having an artistic perspective. Uh, focusing on, 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 on metacognition and how we think about how we think. Um, so those are my areas that I, I focus in. That sounds amazing. Can we just dive into that a second? What yeah. do you mean, how do you teach a child consciousness? How does art, how do the visual arts or language arts, how do you do that with Jihad? That sounds incredible. Sure. So um, I usually deal with themes and so like uh, um, these themes they focus in um, like I said for example we might we're, be talking about virtues so if we're talking about virtues um, we're talking about things like patience forbearance magnanimity that's a course I did for example and we focus on poetry so in this way I like to teach interdisciplinary so what I would do is I would couple these themes which I present to them not only from the commentary of the scholars but from the example of the prophet himself and just discussing and kind of isolating these idea what is what does patience mean in our tradition what does generosity mean what are the levels of generosity and it's amazing when we go into our dean how codified and how specific these terms are and it never ceases to amaze me like the depth of the description and also the examples not only of our prophet muhammad sallallahu who is the greatest example but many many scholars and righteous people throughout our history and sometimes even people who are living with us today so with a, the with a theme such as that, um, I like to couple it with kind of an interdisciplinary method of a cross with the humanities and the writing. So we'll learn, for example, with poetry, we'll learn different forms. What are the different, we have ABC form, AB, ABA form. We have so many different poetic forms of meter and they learn also um, devices such as, you know, illusion or metaphor or simile and they learn things like that and how to use um, figurative language in their writing to express certain ideas and concepts. And uh, so for this is how I sort of intersectionalize this, mm -hmm. this, essen this essence between the, the sacred knowledge and sort of bringing it into a context where the children engage directly with the content. I'm not gonna be the one who will sit and lecture. Um, I think there's a time for that. Um, but that's not my way. It's just not my um, expression. It's not, it's not my way. And so that is um, when we talk about the, the essence of something and the, the carrier oil, you know, traditional setting where, where we do have this transmission are absolutely essential. And many of my students who do attend my classes, they also do have those, those arrangements where they're studying formally of the Quran and they're, they're learning things that maybe at their masjid or things like that. But um, they also want to express themselves. And I also like to leave a space um, for students to be their whole self and to engage with these things directly that they possess ownership over the content. And they're not just being told and then left to wonder how that settled or where that landed within them. I want to hear that feedback from them. How did that land in you? And what have you assembled that idea with? How did it, how has it manifested itself in your overall thinking? 
if that helps that um, answer that. Yeah, that sounds amazing. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you know, you're basically teaching these really important themes, virtues and such like, and then the children are digesting that information themselves and processing it themselves and taking from you know those ideas that you give them and essentially expressing it in some form of art poetry or or some other kind of visual art I think that's beautiful is that correct what, what I'm saying there correct yes yeah. so that's what the language arts with the visual arts it's a similar concept so we do what's called concept art so it will be either it will include quotes or language or it will be concept art, which is it's a genre of art. You, oftentimes we uh, do the medium of illustration or drawing. So it's, it's a visual representation of the concept. Um, so when we learn, for example, about subhanAllah, it will be Hamdi, subhanAllah, Ladim. This is a front comes from a hadith that it is something that is light on the on the tongue, but heavy on the scales. This is a hadith. And so we drew this a beautiful illustration of the scale. And on one hand, it had the whole world. And on the other hand, it had subhanAllah bihamdi, subhanAllah ladim in a tree. And it was the text that was in the leaves of the tree. And that side of the scale was heavier. So for example, that's just one illustration. That, and that represents what is concept art. Right. Okay. I mean, this is really reminding me of, I don't know if you're familiar at all with Charlotte Mason homeschooling. So there's this idea of narration in in their, in that philosophy where you tell back what you have taken from whatever you read or you heard. Uh, and this is essentially what you're doing, but you're bringing Islam and Islamic learning into this alongside the arts. And I've never come across that before. And to, to hear from you that this is actually a very sort of traditional approach to it is uh, really fascinating. So, I mean, if parents are hearing this right now, and they're probably probably right now thinking, this sounds incredible. I would love for my kids to do that. But often, you know, you find in Muslim communities that the arts are, are often overlooked, um, not always. And I think things are changing. But why do you think that is, you, you know, considering all these benefits that you're telling me here, why do you believe that parents put more focus on on other subjects and the arts are often pushed to the side? Oh, definitely. That's a really important area of inquiry and should be ongoing conversations in the, our larger communities as well. Uh, I really do think it has to do with sort of a geopolitical strain on the Ummah from the past hundred years between imperialism, uh, colonialism, communism, and, and that has impacted, um, that has put a lot of cultures into survival mode. And obviously art is something um, that becomes more possible um, when you have a safe, a safe environment. I'm not sure if we always think about the kind of the circumstances that we find ourselves in on a historical timeline that, and these impacts um, that, that we've all been impacted by. But it is also Western thought in general compartmentalizing different parts of our life and making art as if it's a one hour thing a week. Whereas the Muslim, I mean, if we look in our in our tradition, um, the Muslims have implemented art and, and beautified literally everywhere they've stepped foot from. And they and another beautiful aspect about Muslims is that wherever we've been around the world is that we use our indigenous materials. Like the Turkish are famous for that beautiful cobalt blue because that was a mineral in their earth that they would find. And, and you know, this was the, what Allah supplied them. And from that, they also appreciated the flowers that they, the beautiful tulips that they have that grow all around their region. 
And, and so Muslims have always put in uh, art into their cookware. And if not, they've also brought in the ideas of hygiene and uh, sanitation to wherever um, they've brought. So this is part of our tradition as a Muslim, wherever we go, we make the space more beautiful. And that doesn't always have to look like um, something hanging on the wall. It means that you're the one who lights up the room. So to be um, someone with a smile on your face is to me, artistic, you are an artist, you have transformed something, you've transformed the canvas of the room into something beautiful with your smile. It goes back to what I mean about art being a consciousness, about looking at the space you're in and being able to read the room. And then if you need to change the text of that room, you can, you have the capacity and, um, and beautifying it uh, with your character and or with, um, with the things you build. And I think that we can also look at art, like sometimes I think because of this Western mentality of kind of compartmentalizing different aspects of our life, you know, people do see art as it's either visual arts, but, you know, going to the beach and playing in the sand is art. That is an artistic process. Playing with the bubbles in the bathtub is art. Um, singing songs and lullabies is art. How you make your bed is art. I mean, it's just, um, I think we also need to reframe our ideas around art itself so that we can... Um, have a more global, unified, integrated perspective about our our world and our existence. Oh my good, would you hear you're blowing my mind here? Okay, you have to explain this to me again, okay? Because I am not somebody who's very well versed in art, which is why I brought you on. Explain to me then, okay? What I'm hearing from you is art is not necessarily a painting, you know, on the wall or you know something that you've drawn. Art is something that affects your emotions and allows you to, to develop consciousness is that what you're saying yes yes i mean in my terminology in my perspective from my little corner of the world i see art as ihsan what is ihsan it means you do something with excellence if somebody can write a report and that is even a legal document or that is some sort of um, even something that somebody might consider some formulaic thing, but they do that thing with Ihsan, to me, that is an art form. That means you have mm -hmm. integrated like your, um, the tangible world with your spiritual world. And when the tangible world and the spiritual world merge, you have art and you have Ihsan. And that is what makes the world better. And that is our purpose in life. Well, I did not see this interview going this way. SubhanAllah, that's amazing. Like, I, I mean, okay, so if there's a mom or a dad listening to this right now and they're thinking, okay, you've sold me on this now. I want to, I want to do something like this with my children. I don't want to just do worksheets and read books all day long. I, I want them to have this experience of, of bringing the tangible and the spiritual together. How can you practically, what advice would you give practically to parents homeschooling or not homeschooling, who want to do this at home? Well, um, I think that I, it's hard for me to advise people because everybody's circumstances are so unique. Uh, but I think that it comes down to asking questions, trying to find what lights up your children, your children, and, and then also avoiding negative speech. A lot of things that I come across with parents is this, oh, I've never been creative, like immediately. It's, it's amazing like how fast it comes out of their mouth as if it's, as if it's um, like a mantra or like a song that's stuck on repeat in their mind. It's almost people issue statements like this in a way that it's not a conscious statement. It's almost coming from the subliminal mind when they say, mm -hmm. oh, I, I'm not good at that. I've never been good at art. I can't draw. 
and I just hear it come out so fast. And I think that's one thing is that we want to avoid negative statements like that because children internalize those messages and they figure, oh, like mommy's really, there's a hard line on that one. There's a big brick wall around that topic. So instead, we want to talk in the positive. That's one thing. So it might be baking, you know, that might be our art form. And, you know, baking is really overlooked. It's very difficult baking a perfect, a perfect muffin, a perfect cupcake is certainly art. And especially when you said that there. Um, but um, back to your question, how can we, uh, after I say how shouldn't we, right? So we don't want to, we want to first eliminate those kind of negative principles. Um, and then we want to create an environment where children can thrive in that space that lights them up. And I know that a lot of times now that means a lot of computer time for kids, unfortunately, but how can we get them to think about the deeper gears of that might be something that might help them. Like, for example, if they are into the computer, maybe go deeper into what's behind it and what are the structures and elements that drive those games to help them get into that's what I mean by metacognition. So mm -hmm. metacognition de determines more about how you think about how you're thinking. And actually human beings are the only form of people, of species who have metacognition, we can analyze our, our own thought process. And this is, um, this is what allows us to also to progress spiritually, because the same, the same way we behave, right? If we were behaving in our ego self, which, which we all do, um, and I should only speak for myself, but let's say we should, as, as believers, we have to have a higher level thinking that's watching our ego self that's saying, that's not right. You shouldn't have said that. Wait a second. Make to fix that. Don't do that. Right. Like we need to have that knowing that's above us to be able to um, correct ourselves, to beautify ourselves, to enhance ourselves, to remove bad qualities, to bring forth good ones. So that's what I mean. It's kind of all integrated. And I know that um, I, maybe I'm going outside of the lines. And that's what I do, really. I mean, as an artist as well, I'm a mixed media artist by my own private practice because uh, you, I just can't stay in one medium. <laughs> I really, um, it, to me, like I said, it's a global way of life. It is how we approach the world and how we interact with our world and how we bring that spiritual to the physical. And our, um, our physical world impacts our spiritual world and our spiritual world impacts our physical world around us. Yeah, so um, eliminating negative thoughts and also supporting your child and what lights them up would be my short answer. That's brilliant. No, I think that's fantastic advice. But I can hear, I can hear the mums in my audience. I know them well now. And, and like you said, there's a lot of self-talk that says, I'm not creative, I'm not artistic, I can't do it. So if there's a mom listening to this right now who thinks like that, who, who does doubt her ability to uh, encourage creativity in her child, what can she do like right now? You said she, you should you know, pursue, look into what their child is already interested in. Is there anything more she can do or any resources you would recommend or what what? very practical steps could she take? Sure. So exposure is obviously super important. We have the YMCA here, for example, they have art classes or, you know, you might have things in your local community for that's uh, supposed to speak. And then, but then there's also um, private classes you can look into. You have drumming classes, you have performance art, you have, um, you know, art classes, um, definitely exposure and also getting books. So we're avid, avid book people were, were platinum card holders at our local public library, which means you're taking <laughs> out over 4,000 books. And sure. um, yeah, we're really book. And it's just books is also another thing to me. It's just bringing 
um, the outside, the global world, the historical world, the future world, you break all those barriers of past, present, future, outside, inside, into your work, into your life with the books. So just having even a pile of books, I don't say, oh, you must have read this, you must have, no, like I think that just having that stack of books in our space, and yes, of course they read them, is itself art, having art books and having all kinds of books, literature, any types of books, and, and just having that, that level of books available. So I would also get a lot of how-to books, a lot of art books, how to draw books. Um, you can get a lot of those, but just leave them laying around. And they, even if they just peruse through the book, I think that's a win. I mean, yeah. it, it passed through their mind and, and they took a look at that. And every time you expose something um, to someone, it demystifies it a little bit more. So if they're not seeing the, the adult person in their life drawing, you've kind of just added another layer of, of taking out those barriers like, oh, hey, this is a thing. And, and you keep repeating those experiences. A set aside a day, it's art time. It's 30 minutes right now. Let's find something that looks cool or let's try something out. Let's try... Um, we can even try something food coloring and baking soda. We can try something else. It doesn't have to be drawing per se. Not all kids. Some kids are really more crafty and you will find there are do, uh, some kids, they really like crafts and they'll, they're hard no on the, on the drawing and, and they tried, but they're just like, I just don't like it. I just don't mm -hmm. like it. And that's fine. You don't like it. So let's do crafts, you know, so let's cut, let's paste, let's build, let's tie, let's braid, you know, let's then, then they thrive. They're, they're just so into it. Thank you for that. So did, when you were growing up, did you have that kind of environment in your home? Were you often exposed to the arts? Uh, is that something you learned from your own experience as a child? I would say on an average, on an average level. My mom was always a very good um, cook and baker. So I did watch baking a lot growing up and I had an appreciation for that. And I also had a school, my local school, which in the summer they would have, they would have these craft tables. And, and I would say that was a really great exposure for me because I learned all different types of art and just being around art. I loved the messy art table to me. It was just so inviting. And then, um, yeah, growing up then I also, let's see, I wasn't so much of a book person until I became Muslim. Mm -hmm. So prior to becoming Muslim, I was more into the arts. And I, I, did, I did very well with those, especially in high school. I was very into photography and I won like countywide awards for those. And everyone in my high school figured I'd be going to art school and I didn't end up going to art school, but it was just part of who I am. And it always was the way that I thought about the world was through, I guess, an artistic interdisciplinary lens. So you feel like you were just, it was a gift that you were given and you've been able to express it since since you found Islam? Yes, I, I think so. I mean, it, I think Islam helped me to channel the purpose for that artistic vision. So, mm -hmm. um, I mean, without Islam, I think I could have, I, I don't know a nice way to say this, but I could just be so wildly creative that it could almost be unhealthy or unproductive for me right. um, in terms of, so Islam helps has helped me anchor myself and find a North Star and know my purpose in this life. So that has helped me find a, a reason to take this creativity and formalize it and sort of codify it in a way that's useful to others, especially, I mean, I could go and be artistic on my own, but to me also the teacher-student relationship is an artistic process. That exchange, that magical place between the teacher sharing and the student absorbing those little windows those magical moments when the heart opens and you just know you got something through to like another human being yeah. to me, 
it's absolutely amazing. It's just, there's no words for that. And so, um, so yeah, so that art process, I, I like to do it through the teaching uh, process. That's part of the art to me as well. So I have seen you teach and I can, I can like testify to everyone listening, but you are a fantastic teacher and that love you have for teaching, that magical moment you spoke about, it comes across in the way you teach. Um, is that something that you experienced? Because I know that you used to homeschool your kids for a while. Did you, have, did you have the same experience teaching your own children? Tell me a little bit about your homeschooling journey. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you very much. That was very kind. So my, my homeschooling journey, I'm not sure if I mentioned before, but one of my children, we adopted him. So I have okay. two biological child. My middle child, he's from uh, Morocco. So he joined our family when he was 18 months. And so when he joined the family, he um, needed more time to catch up naturally. So uh, homeschooling him in those early years actually became the force and the reason behind is helping him to anchor himself in a family environment in the family unit and to synchronize him into into life in general and integrate him and get him fully with us um, in symphony so so that was the real motivating factor and that led me to homeschooling all of them as a because it became a practical matter and i might end up bringing him back and um, homeschooling him again junior high and high school so i'm looking into that right now um, but there, at one point, well, the question is about, um, your question was, was that magic happening? And was that with the, with the children? <laughs> I would say, um, I would say it was a big learning curve for me in learning how to manage um, different cognitive needs at different times. And, and it, it is one of the most precious times of my life. It was for sure a challenge and it was for sure a huge learning curve where I was doing a lot of research. But looking back, I mean, it was truly one of the most precious times I had with my children to have them those extra few years and, and they're young and under 10. I'm, I'm really, really grateful that things worked out that way so that I was doing that. One of the obstacles that I have is that I do live in an inner city and inner city living is it has its own challenges in terms of um, getting around, um, also having places to meet up and having homeschool collectives and having things like that. I tried very hard. I, I even um, initiated a collectives and things like that. And I would have to end up traveling quite far to get um, the kind of kind of community that I was needing at that time. So that was part of the challenges I faced. And so we did move into putting them in school. And it's a co-op style. So there's a madrasa in the area and that's working out for them for now. But but I'm always open to shifting them into different models and and we'll see kind of how it goes going forward from now. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think it's really important to hear that, you know, because a lot of homeschooling mums do struggle with that balance between, like you said, it's so precious. You love being with them and having that extra time. And most of the time you enjoy, you know, being with them, but then you also, you need company and some kids need company more than others. Some mums need that community more than others. Um, and it is, I mean, a lot of, a lot of parents struggle with that, but like you say, you know, it's, it's flexible. You, you, you can for a little while, put them in school. And then like you've said, you might bring one of them back home and, and carry on homeschooling them at home. Well, I think that's important, you know, with the homeschooling journey is to realize that that is exactly what it's about is that, you know, you have that tenacity and that, that 
ability to decide, okay, this is good right now. And maybe that's not going to be, and we're just going with what is the maximum benefit at this moment. And we have to be able to read the time that we're in, read our child, read our environment. You know, sometimes I, I meet people, they have very, very young children. They said, what should I do um, about this? Or what should I do about that? And I would say, you know, your circumstances will actually determine and kind of narrow you down to a couple of choices. Don't think about all the options in the world because all the options in the world aren't available to us at any time. We all have our circumstances in real life scenarios. And so look at your own life and determine these are my, these are my two or three options right now. And maybe this is good right now. And maybe don't, don't be afraid if that's not going to be okay in two years. Don't be afraid. You're with your children the whole time, inshallah. So you will always be that anchor for them, even though they're shifting their educational models. They'll be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's right. So many people, they've got a three-year-old, a four-year-old at home, and they feel like this decision is going to be forever or, you know, for the next 10 years. But it really, that's putting too much weight on your shoulders as a mom. It's just for a little while you, like you say, you have to judge the child where they are at right now. Uh, and that changes. I mean, you know, as a new mom, I didn't realize how much kids change from year to year, from even month to month. You really can't have fixed plans, you know, and subhanAllah, there's a lot of wisdom in that. You know, we grow so much as moms, don't we? And and I think that is one of the big wisdoms is just having that flexibility and just trusting in Allah's plan and he will guide you. In so many ways, we have to just surrender all these big plans and visions we have for our kids. And I think that's one of the hardest things to do when you're looking at home educating your kids is that aspect of surrender. Um, When you were going through all these changes in your home, when your kids were uh, going into school or when you were bringing a new child in, did you find art a way for you to to manage that yourself, you know, to, to deal with the emotions and the, perhaps the stress and how did art uh, support you? Oh, that's, yes, that's very relevant to me because the arts did, um, I mentioned that in my young, in my youth, I was very uh, artistic and then I became a Muslim. So when we become a Muslim, which is like the, everything, uh, as, as kind of with anything that we, we're new at, we really focus on that so I really focused on I for example um, after that I traveled to Syria and I was living there for and Jordan I was living there for four years so I went in just needed to understand the dean for myself so that really I my artistic pursuits were definitely secondary or third area I don't know mm-hmm. and I became really focused on under, being able to read the Quran myself being able to understand the dean for myself being able to live Islam for myself. So that became my primary and then focus. And I spent many, many years doing that and studying the sacred knowledge. And and that has also been kind of what I do now, right? It kind of synchronizes between these two genres, which is the sacred knowledge, which I have so much reverence for and had such a wonderful experience. And I had such a wonderful like guidance and help and support um, in learning the Dean. And then that natural artistic inclination of mine, they come together with the work I do today. But to answer your question, so my artistic inspiration really came back after having my first child and it actually started and I was taking him on a walk and he was in a stroller and I saw a branch. It was a branch that had fallen off a tree and I picked it up and I, I just loved the branch. It was a beautiful branch and it just seemed 
I don't know, I, I brought it home and I ended up turning it. I, I got this fishing wire and I had these crystals and I turned it into this mobile. And mm -hmm. I don't know, something happens to us as women after having a child. So it did for me. I know every woman has their own experience, but for me, it definitely reignited my creative self. And, and it's true that after that, um, I, I made that mobile. And then I remember I started making some art with some fabric. And then I started just slowly, I started to develop this box of supplies, of art supplies. And, and now my box is like boxes. And I have really, I have so many um, art supplies now. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. I have beads from paints to papers. And just so that, so that collection has grown throughout all of these years. But for sure, it's been an anchor in my life and a way for me to process everything that we carry as a, as a mother and, mm -hmm. and to express myself and find quiet time to process and kind of shut off my analytical mind, my self-judgy mind, myself, you know, um, or the caretaker mind. And I've been able to go and, and do my own art process is something that that's yet yeah, for sure, very personal for me, very healing for me, very helpful to me as the mother and my best self once I have a little quiet time to process right without anything that involves particular outcomes or specific results that I need to achieve but just just being in that quiet space and it's yeah. very akin the spiritual the spiritual process and the artistic process have a lot of parallels so because we work through that space when we're making a dua everyone knows that space when we're in dua we're making we're in this really intuitive space where it's I don't know, it's a bubble. It's a, I don't know what it is. It's a channel. I guess there's so many ways to interpret it, but everyone knows there's this really inner world place where we go. Yes. And we kind of put the whole world aside and what happened before or be next is, is sort of different. We're just with Allah, Ya Allah, I'm yours. This is where I'm at. And Ya Allah, just, and we're calling on him to, to praise him and to, and to, to be with uh, him in the next life and also to help us is with where we are. And, um, that's that's a very similar kind of intuitive space that that artists go into when they do their art in my experience so i can't speak for every artist but mm -hmm. i do find that there is an inner world um sort of overlay in that i mean that that sort of stillness that you're describing that you go into i think you know so many of us need that we need more of that in our lives and maybe you're not someone who picks up a paintbrush or who can write a poem, but like what has said here, it doesn't have to be like that. You know, art can be, you know, baking or, or something else that you're doing with excellence. So I think that's really powerful. And I mean, if you give your children, you open up the artistic world to your children, then presumably, Wajiha, they can benefit from art in that way as well. They can have that sort of stillness and that intuitive uh, connection, if you like, when they when they need it most, when they have challenges in their life as well. For sure. And also the artistic process. It's not always, um, you know, I don't always come out with the best art. Sometimes it was just the process and it's, and it's like showing them as well. Like it's okay to just express yourself and to be okay with what things are. We don't have to make a masterpiece to be okay with ourselves. We don't need a, a grade on this to say that, you know, it's valuable. No, it's valuable because like I found my, my center in this. I anchored myself down and I was able to find some peace here. And that's success. 
you know, that is being able to know yourself and know how to express yourself. And what greater gift is there really than to know oneself and to be able to express oneself, know one's boundaries and know what one wants. I mean, some mm. people, they're spending their whole lives to achieve these things. And, 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 but the irony is that we can't do that until we can sort of like accept, accept ourselves. So we have to be okay with not being okay. We have to be okay with I'm, I'm, this wasn't perfect. This didn't turn out the way I wanted mm. and, and not being upset about that. Just be like, okay, that is what it is. And we're going to keep moving. It was all a wonderful process. Nothing is a failure when you, when you look in the right way, because when you do something, and it doesn't work out. You learn for the next time. This is the yeah. way I'm going to approach it next time. So I always try to keep that mentality of like, no failure, just process and movement. We're always moving forward. It's like the right direction is more important than the amount of work that you do. If you're going in the right way, I, you know, that's what you really want to focus on your direction more than all the things you do along the way and being self-critical and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, so many kids struggle with that, don't they? I mean, I, I get messages a lot from parents who say their children are perfectionist. And yeah. often, you know, I say, well, usually that's something that they've learned. You know, they've learned that because the focus in the home or the focus at school is always on the right, quote unquote, answer. But, you know, maybe those children would really benefit from art, it's particularly in the way that you're talking about teaching it, about it just being progress and movement. It's not about it being, quote unquote, perfect. Um, if, if parents have a child at home who does have those perfectionist tendencies, you know, what, what can they do? How can they support them in their artistic pursuits? That's a great question. I have one child like this, too, who, who will um, be you know, f focused on, on one aspect of it and it can prevent progress because you get, you, you, an you can analyze so, so much on one aspect. So I, I definitely understand the challenge. Um, and I think it's a lot of positive uh, talk and supporting them, helping them, you know, be okay with it. And just looking at the global vision, just keep trying the same thing over and over again. And, and being okay with that. You don't have to get it right the first time. It's not even the point to get it right the first time. And, um, and we just want to just keep moving in the same direction. Because one of my kids was tending in that way. I found actually it was to do with the way I was speaking. It's like the advice you gave at the beginning, Wajihe, about eliminating the negative talk and keeping it positive and, and showing your child that it's okay to make mistakes. Look, mommy makes mistakes all the time. She burnt the toast. She couldn't learn her Arabic today and she's okay with it. She's okay to just keep progressing and keep trying. You know, it's about, like you said, it's the progress. It's making progress, not, not the final results. The result is nice and everything, but it's actually the effort that you put in um, and, and all those beautiful things that you spoke about before about movement. For sure. And also, I mean, I think with with children who are perfectionists, I did find one benefit uh, is that um, you could provide for them some more template type of work is that they have they can even though on one hand, you want to make them OK with with things not being OK, for example, that's that is one message. But congruently and at the same time, um, you can also support them by giving them a very specific instruction that is kind of like a no fail project that makes them feel like, okay, I want that. Like I did that. I got that. And I, and I, and I did it and it came out the way I expected for some students that can be um, very positive force for them because they see that, okay, I was given a project 
I did step one, two, three, four, five, and I got the product or the, you know, the, the artwork that I wanted to do. So, mm. so sometimes, especially with my younger students, that is something, um, especially ages between like five and seven or younger, between three to five, um, you could give them a printouts and very, you're like, you're going to color this, you're going to cut this and you're going to glue this. So this gives them these wins that they're like, yeah, I can do art. And then they get this kind this inner knowing that oh, I got this. Yeah, like I cut this, I colored it and I stuck it and I got exactly what I expected. And in fact, it's really marvelous too. It's wonderful. I do think as well about when it comes to praising children and praising their art, there are different theories about that. I'm not really sure. Um, I'm still working on my my own thoughts on that. Some is that you should say, what do you think about that? How did you, how did that art make you feel? Personally, I like to be a little bit um, more verbally encouraging. And I like to say that's wonderful. And look at how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed your hand. Look at these wonderful colors. Look at your expression. Mashallah. I really like to encourage the child, though I have let, read literature that, you know, some contemporary thoughts have said, you know, maybe just you don't want to impose like a kind of judgment on the on the results. So you should say things like, how does that make you feel? What did you think about that? Um, personally, it's just not my personality. I just, I love to see the child. They're looking at, at us with these big eyes and showing and they have a smile <laughs> on their face. It's impossible for me to say, how does that make you feel? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just so excited in the energy that they, that they come with. It's just, the, I guess it's different teaching methods and, and I'm sure there's wisdom. And, I, and I'm still exploring this area of, of how to talk about art with children and being okay. more about that. Yeah, and how to respond to their art, how to let them talk about their art, how to ask them questions about their art. This is a whole actual discussion in the art teaching community. Yeah, I mean, I'd never even thought about that, but you're right, that's, it could go either way, couldn't it? Um, but yeah, that's fascinating. When you're teaching a child, whether it's your own or you, know, you have classes of, of lots of kids, all looking at you and watching you, you become, you know, an important part of their life, an influence on their life. Um, so how you respond does matter. Have there been people in your life who, I mean, who's been the biggest influence on you as an artist, as a teacher, perhaps? Um, who would you point as maybe the one or two people in your life have had the biggest influence on you? Sure. So I guess true to being an artist, I've sort of always walked by the beat of my own drum and had my own sort of North Star. So I, there's never been someone I'm saying, oh, this person is, you know, of course, beyond our prophet, our beloved messenger, but I mean, in my life that I've kind of always brought in the universal collective of the people in my life and looked at how everyone perceives and interacts with their world. And I, and I can take, I try to take the benefit of everyone who's around me. And that's always been kind of how I process my life and the people around my life. Um, but if there was anyone um, who did have like the most as a collective was definitely my shiu, my teachers who have showed me this excellence and ihsan and devotion to the sacred knowledge and having just the complete selflessness and the kind of sacrifice they make to just transmit one verse of the Quran or transmit one hadith of the Prophet the love and the intention and the dedication, the sacrifice, the selflessness that's been involved with that, that I've witnessed with my own eyes. 
and actually the miracles and I don't know the illumination, the light, the newer, everything that comes with that has probably been the greatest influence for me to want to teach and mm-hmm. to um, want to be part of that transmission of movement because although I, I for sure definitely don't see myself as a shikha or I mean I don't even refer to myself as usteza although I am a teacher I most of my students they call me sister or khala um, but in my heart of hearts to bring the love of Allah and his messenger وسلم, into an innocent heart child through the means of something that they're enjoying is my greatest gift I guess I in life like I just want to I thank Allah Allah thank you so much like that all my skills as a person and also my opportunity in life has given me this gift to provide and do this one thing I know it's like we can't do it all but it's this one thing and there's many other areas in my life I'm still learning I'm really in the curve and I'm still learning as a parent I'm still learning as a Muslim and as a person and as, in every aspect of my life but this is one area where I feel like um, it's really matched up and all of all of all of pieces fit and I and I can give this one gift and I'm so grateful for that so but that really came from watching these um, mostly scholars male and female who I've seen um, and the energy and the love and the intention and the purity of heart um, that's what I modeled that's what I hope to achieve it's the love that I felt and the sincerity the nur the love of Allah and that purity of almost being in the presence of the hereafter of Jannah I don't know before before even dying and just I want to be able to be part of that that level of love and yeah I guess that's where it really comes from is that yeah that's so beautiful Adria. you're amazing can I just say Aww. that and that sincerity it comes through in you as well you know and and the fact that you're doing that for children who I mean you've never met you probably you do it online so you probably will never meet them you don't know their parents but you're doing it sincerely for Allah using the gifts you've been given to to like you say you know spread Islam in their hearts give them a love of the Prophet that's so beautiful and that sincerity it really does shine through you've brought tears to my eyes so you know you inspire me so much that's very kind coming from you so tell us all now tell us about all these classes that you do or anything that you've got going on right now that you'd love for um, their children to take part in? For sure, so for um, in the fall, so I'm just wrapping up some summer classes now in the next few weeks. And late August, early September, I'm going to be starting a new series. One is, it's going to be based on the Clear Quran by Mustafa, Dr. Mustafa Al-Khattab um, for children, which is published, it works as a textbook, but it's going to be a basis for some writing uh, units that we'll do. And also um, Words of the Wise, which is a drawing class that we reflect on different words of the Allah, His Messenger, Sallallahu ulama, scholars, um, great thinkers from our tradition. And we do concept art around that. Um, I'm currently teaching the Ghazali ages five to seven, and that's at a time that accommodates global times. That is going to be updated into a new time, but for global time, inshallah. And the 99 Names of Allah class, there's going to be a class, a new, a new series starting in, on Tuesdays in the morning. So that would also accommodate a global audience. So you can, um, the, all my website's going to be updated this month and ready for registration in August. 
so early August, end of July. So um, my website is uh, sacredartworkshops.com. You could check it out there to stay updated. Brilliant. So that link will be in the show notes to this episode. And you definitely want to go over there and see what Wajia has going on. Even if you're listening to this after August, I've no doubt there'll be more classes coming up. So just go over there, put your name down for something um, and, and see what she has going on for your kids. My daughter did one of her classes and she loved it. And she was like, can we do more, mommy? And I need to sort that out for her because she really, really enjoyed that. Um, and I did mention at the beginning that Wajiha is coming in to launch a homeschool. She's going to be doing a bonus mask um, to teach the kids uh, who are part of, of that community. So if you are uh, already in launch or homeschool, you can look forward to a class from Wajiha in August. Okay, Wajiha, should we wrap that up? This has been so much fun and incredibly insightful. And it took directions that I wasn't expecting. Thank you so much for joining all of us and, and sharing your knowledge and your wisdom with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Wasn't that incredible? Mashallah, you know, Sister Wajiha is so intelligent, such a pure heart, and she's a very talented teacher. When we got off air, she remembered that she actually has a class opening up this weekend. It's called Unfold Your Own Myth, Writing in the Way of Rumi. And that is for students aged 13 to 16. And as I mentioned, her website, her Instagram account, all the things are linked in the show notes so you can go and check out the amazing work she is doing for the children of this ummah. So as I mentioned, Sister Wajiha is going to be coming inside Launch Your Homeschool. She's going to be doing a bonus masterclass with your children. And that's actually going to be about the symbolism in Islamic carpets and the deeper hidden meaning inside some of the imagery that is used inside the carpets that you see from Africa through to Asia. And this is going to be suitable for children of all ages. And I have no doubt, as always, your children are going to love it. So if you're already part of Launch Your Homeschool or you're joining us when the doors open again on the 29th of July, then your children will get access to that class and more information will be sent out to you by email. Well, thank you so much for joining me here today. I hope you enjoyed this interview. We've got another one coming again next week with yet again another incredible homeschooling mum. And I can't wait to bring that to you. Inshallah. Okay, take care. Have a beautiful week, everyone. Assalamu alaikum.